Blog Talk Radio. Sigh. Hello, Nats Town. Welcome to Nats Nightly, sponsored by the District Sports page and FederalBaseball.com. This is Patrick Reddington for Federal Baseball. I've got Doghouse from Federal Baseball on the line tonight. After the Nationals' three-game win streak ends with a 6-5 loss to the San Diego Padres, Doghouse, we're going to jump right into what I think is the key moment of this game. I don't think I just think it. I think it was clearly the key moment of this game. Justin Upton homers in the top of the seventh inning to put the Padres up 6-2 to two at that point, but the Nationals rally in the bottom of the seventh inning. I'm going to say Tyson Ross every time and not say Joe Ross. That is my mission for this game or this show, whatever it is. Tyson Ross still on the mound in the bottom of the seventh, though. He hits Clint Robinson. Bernard Stan doubles in the next at bat to knock him out. Runners on first and third. Jason Worth walks. Load the bases up for Anthony Rendon, who walks the force in a run, 6-3 to three at that point. Bryce Harper follows with a two-run double to center off of Mark Shimshimshimshimsky. 6-5 game at that point. UNL Escobar comes out. They keep Shimshimsky in there. I can't say his name. There's too many consonants in there. UNL Escobar gets up 3-0, gets the green light from Matt Williams. Browns and do an inning-ending 5-4-3 double play that stops the rally in its track. I don't care. I don't care where that pitch is, basically. The Padres are struggling at that point. They're about to give up the lead. They're walking batters left and right. I really don't care where that pitch is. I think you just take that and make them make you get out. By the way, you know Escobar leads the team and is second in the NL and grounding into double plays with 18 after tonight. Just really kind of stopped the rally in its tracks right there, and the Nationals couldn't rally afterwards. They ended up dropping a 6-5 decision, but they had a runner on third, first and third at that point. They were a sacrifice fly away from tying it up. Instead, they get the green light and ground into the 5-4-3 there. Yeah, th- there were a lot of mistakes labeled UNL Escobar tonight. Uh, that that had they not been made would have seen the Nats at least tied in this game if not uh, with an outright win. That just the uh, that one being just the capper on it. You know, I I, I am not against swinging three zero even against a struggling pitcher because you know you figure you get up that you get that far ahead and he's been walking people. You know, good chance of getting something fat. But you always got to be judicious when you've got the green light. You can't just swing at anything that's out there. And that was actually a reasonably good pitch for someone who was in swing mode, uh, or a reasonably good pitch for the pitcher, that is, for someone who's in swing mode. It was down, and uh, it ended up being a ground ball up the middle, right where it needed to be for the double play. Oh, so frustrating. That was not a fat enough pitch to swing at 3-0. Uh, of course, yeah. we, we can have another discussion about range and uh, and juggling instead of throwing, but uh, I, I'm sure we'll get to that at some other point in the broadcast. Yeah, uh, one of many frustrating moments in uh, in a frustrating evening, made even more frustrating by the the big infusion of false hope that that both the Nats and the useless Phillies gave us uh, at various points on the evening. Just watching that inning go along, though, it really frustrated me is that it's the patience at the plate that gets him into that situation. After the hit-by-pitch and the double, Jason Worth takes a walk when I'm sure he'd love to swing away there. Anthony Rendon works the count full and walks, takes a pitch in low in the, uh, out of the zone and just spits on it and takes a walk there, forces in a run when you know he'd love to be swinging away and knock in one or two there. But he's patient, takes what they give him and, get, and gets it. When you put the hitter up three nothing at that point, uh, you know Escobar. I just I can't 
justify swinging at that pitch. I know they're trying to make something happen, but the whole inning was set up by letting things happen rather than trying to make it happen. And when they go to make it happen, it ends up costing them the rally there. No, I, I, I agree 100%. You're right on that. If, if if he lets that pitch go, it's bases loaded again. And, you know, they're, they're still in the fire. you still got a great chance to tie the game or go ahead. Uh, if that was a strike, and I, I doubt that it was, even from my perch high up in the 300 level, uh, it's it's a pitcher's pitch, and you shouldn't be swinging at it. So, yeah, bad bad decision there. Yeah, who knows what's going to happen? It's a three-one pitch coming after that. You might ground into the double play on that pitch. You never know. But uh, it's just a frustrating way to have that rally end and then fall short in the end. But they were put in a hole early by Gio Gonzalez. Back-to-back losses in his last two starts after an eight-start unbeaten streak. 13 hits, four walks, 11 runs, 10 earned, and seven and two-thirds against the Giants and the Brewers, nine and six on the year, 3-9-80 RA, 3-1-5-5, 2-77, line against, and 131 innings pitched this season. Uh, leadoff runner reaches in each, each of the first three innings, an error, a two-run double, and a two-run home run, follow the leadoff single in the third, down 4 nothing at that point, 56 pitches in three innings pitched, a single walk starts the fourth, a track fly makes it 5 nothing at that point, he's out with two down in the fifth, down 5-1, to one. ends up throwing a total of, scrolls down, 86 pitches in four and two-thirds innings pitched, just not good Geo from the start. He struggled with his command all along, got out of trouble in the first two innings, couldn't get it out of it in the third, and then left the game in a 5-1 hole. Just not exactly the type of starting pitching they've been getting the last couple of days when the Nationals offense has kind of been there to support them. Yeah, uh, another frustrating outing from Geo here. We've seen Geo do good things this year, and unfortunately mostly in the first half of the season. Came out today, uh, going to long counts, walking people, leaving some balls up, and this this is not the geo that we wanted to see. And certainly, with uh, one or two little clowny bits of defense by him, I'm looking at you again, you know, Escobar. Uh, <laughs> it, it it turned into a, a, a semi disaster, made even worse by some bad choices on offense, as, as we've already discussed here. So, uh, a, a tough night in that sense. I know I'm just feel or at least feel like I'm just nitpicking here, but Gio Gonzalez, uh, top of the fifth inning, gets the first two uh, Kemp and Upton swinging, gives up a single by Jericho. His spot is coming up second in the bottom of the fifth, but Matt Williams decides to go to the pen at that point for Doug Fister, brings him out. He gets that last out of the inning. His spot comes around in the bottom of the fifth, and we were texting back and forth about this. I think I was a little bit less happy with it than uh, you were, but... I won't put words in your mouth. Keith Law tweeted something about not liking it either, but you go to Fister with two out to get that last out. You're down five to one at that point. I, I just it's, it's a pretty much must win every game at this point. I just don't see leaving the pitcher in there to hit for himself. And I would rather you know have Matt Williams leave Geo in to get that last out. Hope he doesn't put himself in trouble. Derek Norris has good numbers against him, so I guess there's sort of a justification there, but. You go to the uh, pinch, uh, uh, relief pitcher, Doug Fister strikes out, and his at-bat comes out, back out for the next inning, finishes up the sixth, and then ends up giving a home run up in the seventh. That ends up being the deciding run of the game. I'm just not sure I like the thinking all around in this one. Well, with, with Roark down in uh, down in Potomac stretching out to take over for Joe Ross, Fister is your long option. Going to him there, at first I, I was actually uh, – 
thinking like the, the, the recent reinforcements from the DL hadn't come back. And I, I think I actually texted you something to the effect of, well, Fister hits as well as anyone on the bench. And then I started remembering, oh, no, there are actually good people on the bench now. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, I, I was kind of wondering about myself, about it myself. I didn't, I didn't hate the move at first. And as you started texting me, I, I started to hate it. So, Thank, thanks for that. Uh, sorry. But, yeah, it's, it's well, no, you, you're right. Every game is must win from here out, uh, given the, the, the hole that uh, the Nats are in. And, you know, the Nats and the Mets, Mets both have pretty soft schedules coming up. And you you got <laughs> to you, you go through every one of those. Winning the series isn't enough. You've got to you gotta sweep uh, at least – some fraction of those, and uh, right now the Nats are certainly not setting themselves up to do that. Um, yeah, uh, I, I've been hesitant to pile on to Matty, you know, and some of his bullpen managing decisions over the course of the season, but I, I don't know. I, I'm just going to throw my hands up now and start grumbling with everyone else. I don't know that firing him would, would do any good, but maybe you uh, – you know, maybe you let uh, McCaddy decide when to move the pitchers in and out now. Yes, I'm certainly not on the fire Matt Williams bandwagon. And just from a personal perspective, I'll never call for anyone in any position to be fired. Essentially, it's not my decision. I, nothing I say is going to impact what they do. And calling for someone's job is just in poor taste, in my opinion, even though I know people on the Internet love doing it. But We'll get back to Matt Williams in a second. I'm pulling up an article with some quotes from Ken Rosenthal that we'll discuss when uh, we get through the rest of this game. But Tyson Ross, Joe's older brother on the mound for the Padres tonight, a 3-3-2 ERA, 2-9-3 FIP, 4.15 walks per nine so far this season. He leads the NL in walks. He might lead the majors, actually. I didn't check the whole thing because I don't care about the AL. But 247, 336, 332 line against, and 151 and two-thirds this season. Gave up five hits, three walks, two earned runs, and an 8-3 loss to the Nationals back in May in a start in Petco Park. He walks Bryce Harper to start the fourth tonight. Harper works his way around, ends up scoring on a sack fly to make it 5-1 at that point. Bases loaded sack fly in the sixth by Ryan Zimmerman, makes it 5-2. A hit by pitch and a double by Span in the seventh, knock Ross out. Just the kind of pitcher who's always trouble for the Nationals, has that wipeout slider that's just kryptonite for Nationals hitters most of the time. Six and a third innings pitch tonight, six hits, four earned runs, two walks, nine Ks on the night. You can see where uh, Joe Ross gets that slider from. I'm pretty sure his brother must have taught it to him at some point. They just both have that wipeout pitch. I think FP was talking about it being more of a, a traditional breaking ball than a really sharp slider, but it's really kind of a devastating pitch. And when you get home and look at the zone Bob Davidson was calling tonight and those pitches outside to right-handers, I think you're going to be equally frustrated with that. But he took advantage of that and was able to hold the Nationals at bay pretty much. Yeah, I, I admit I didn't understand the zone, but it's, it, you know, from where I'm sitting, it's a little hard to hard to grasp just where things are on the plate. Um, you know, and, and even if the umpire is calling it a good zone, I'm still going to yell at him that he's a bum and stuff goes against the Nats, justified or not. But uh, if, if there is a familiar resemblance in the pitching uh, going forward, uh, I, I think that's good for the Nats, certainly. Um, tonight, wow. Just what, like you said, uh, when they actually use their patience 
and uh, tried to work some long at bats. They had some success. Uh, it did seem at, at some points in the middle of the game they were just in a hurry to get themselves out. And I, I don't know if that's an approach they were trying because they thought there was some weakness, but, oh, boy, it, it sure didn't work until late when they changed it. So they finally got him out of the game, tried to rally against the bullpen, but fell short. I thought it was interesting going into the game. Joe Ross, uh, Tyson Ross, damn it, I did it. 0.30 home runs, home runs per nine on the year. Gio Gonzalez, 0.41 home run per nine on the year. They were the first and second lowest in home run per nine in the majors this season. The Nats were going to have to manufacture runs, but they ended up doing what Gio Gonzalez gave up two long balls in the game. So that he loses the battle of attrition there with Ross to keep the ball in the park. It's just interesting, different kind of pitchers, righty and lefty, obviously, but sinker baller versus a power slider there. It's uh, just interesting to me going into there that they ended up being the one in, the first and second lowest home run per nine so far this season. Yeah, that I don't is know if that's a question. I haven't, I haven't looked at the the spin. My impression that the Nat starters have been giving up a lot of long balls in the second half of the season. I'm I'm not sure if that's true or if they had particularly given up few home runs in the first half of the season. But you know, this this is my completely qualitative impression pending actually looking it up on Fangraphs. Did we lose you there? Mr. House? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, I did sorry. Can you hear me? British lady inter- oh. British lady interrupted me. I couldn't tell if you were still talking or wrapped it up at that oh, point. Yeah. Uh, we'll no, wrap I, up I surrendered on the point today. <laughs> we'll wrap up with what I talked about from Ken Rosenthal uh reported that Matt Williams, uh, there was an incident, oh, I don't know if it qualifies as an incident, but Jason Worth on Saturday for the game with Milwaukee wasn't in the lineup originally. He apparently came in talked his way into the lineup, which is what everyone was told or what we heard from then. Ken Rosenthal writing today that the incident with Worth might have stemmed from nothing more than Williams trying to take extra care with a player who recently missed more than two months with a left wrist contusion. It was actually fractures in his left wrist, but who fact-checks these days. Worth had similar blow-ups with the team's previous managers, uh, Davey Johnson and Jim Riggleman, Rosenthal writes, but Williams' problems with his players extend beyond Worth, according to players with knowledge of the situation. He goes on to repeat a lot of what John Heyman was, has been saying about people not being fond of Matt Williams' demeanor in the clubhouse. I think if the Nationals weren't in the situation they are in right now, we'd be hearing a lot less of this, but Mike, Will- uh, Mike Rizzo spoke up pretty clearly in defense of Matt Williams earlier this week, and I think going down the stretch, as we discussed before, the worst it gets for the Nationals, and as soon as it starts to look like they're really out of contention, which is looking more and more every day, we're going to start to hear a lot more of this. But what do you think Matt Williams' future is at this point, and does it depend on what the Nationals do going down the stretch and whether or not they can make it back to the postseason? Well, if if the the Nationals miracle themselves into a playoff spot, I I think Williams' job is safe. Uh, It's it's hard to fire a guy who – resurrects a team from the, the situation that the Nats are in now. Uh, if the Nats don't make it to the postseason, which certainly looks like the likelier outcome at this point, I, I really couldn't say. It's it's hard to put, you know, much as we question the bullpen managing and, and whatever all, it, it's hard to put the blame on Matt when there have been so many injuries and so much underperformance this year. Um, yeah. 
rumors of he's lost the clubhouse or player X likes him or doesn't like him, uh, it, it's it's hard to really put anything real on that. Uh, you can argue that that's the real job of the manager is to, you know, organize and motivate the players. And, you know, if they don't like him, he can't do that. But I think it's very difficult for anyone on the outside like we are to, to say how real any of these stories are. And certainly uh, Rizzo was the one who gets the final say there. And he says he likes Matty. But then again, he'll say that until he doesn't. <laughs> Yes, there is no consequence of saying that up until the point where you make the decision the other way, which we've learned over the years following baseball. There is no accountability for what you say other than with your own reputation. And players and managers can say whatever they want and then make the opposite decision with no repercussions whatsoever. So you have to take it all with a grain of salt. But I think I take it all with a bigger grain of salt when it's these guys outside of the organization and national reporters in particular reporting on what's going on in the clubhouse. But you never know. They're often right about rumors, and we blow them off until they happen to. And so, who knows what's going on in the clubhouse? We'll find out in not too long. Matt Williams has already had his option picked up for 2016, and like you said, and like Rizzo said, and I concluded in the article today, there are plenty of reasons to say that this is all on the underperforming Nationals, the injured Nationals, never having the lineup out there again. And I think there's more than enough justification to say that Matt Williams didn't have a chance or a full chance this year. Everyone's injured. Everyone plays with him, but they've been particularly tough for the Nationals, I think, and more than enough reason for the Nationals to justify keeping him if they wanted to. But we'll see. There's just nothing else to talk about because the Nationals are frustrating us with losses. 63 and 62 on the year after tonight's loss. One more with the Padres tomorrow, and then a three-game set with the Fish starting on Friday. Matt's Nightly is sponsored by the District Sports page and FederalBaseball.com. See if the Nationals can start winning again tomorrow. Mets won their six straight tonight, so they're six and a half back as of now. Matt's Nightly signing off for the night, sir. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Go Nats.